Father, I pray that you would grant us to feel the urgency of Antichrist and that we would feel the confidence that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world and that we would feel and have in our minds, in our hearts, a discerning alertness to the threat of false prophecy. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have a Bible, I hope you'll open it and keep it open to 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. 1 John 4, verses 1 to 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So I think this unit of scripture can be open to our understanding under, under three headings. One, the threat of false prophecy or false prophets. Two, the victory, namely the apostolic truth and the power of God within us. And three, the urgency, namely the antichrist. So threat, victory, urgency, threat, victory, urgency. So before I take those one at a time, let me talk about the relevance of this text for 2023. It's just as relevant today as it was in the first century. False prophecy abounds today. Now think locally, think globally. Think of false prophets who once pastored large evangelical churches and now have forsaken Christ and the scriptures and purvey their false prophecy on podcasts. Or think of pastors of churches who are still pastors of churches leading thousands astray. You could name some. Think of indigenous false prophets in sub-Saharan South Africa by the hundreds. Think of the false prophecy of Islam 
rejecting the incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ. Think of the false prophecy of Hinduism without any divine human mediator. Think of the false prophecies of Buddhism, Shintoism, Sikhism, Zoroastrianism. Think of the false prophecies of Messiah rejecting Judaism. Think of the false prophecies of Western secular religion. Call it expressive individualism. Call it moralistic therapeutic deism. Or perhaps most similar to John's concern and his situation, think of the Gnostic tendencies of modern theological liberalism. They cannot accept the union of God with man in a virgin birth or a walking on water or a rising from the dead. It must all be demythologized to keep God at a safe distance from this physical reality like sexuality and healing and crucifixion. 1 John 4, 1 to 6 is absolutely crucial for our time and our school. When we say at Bethlehem College and Seminary, we aim to build into our students the habits of mind and heart, observation, understanding, evaluation, feeling, application, expression. This is what we have in mind. Test the spirits. Observe them. Do you see them? I mean, do you see them? Are your eyes open to the spirits? Understand them. No straw men here. Do we understand what we're dealing with? Do we think it through? Evaluate. That's what this text is mainly about. By what standard are you going to evaluate? Feel the urgency. Antichrist we're talking about. Feel it. Take it all and apply it to what you watch on your streaming service. Apply it to where you're going to be in 30 years. What's your plan? How are you going to not waste your life in this reality, in this world? Think it through. Apply it. And then open your mouth to each other, to the world, and express these things to help people on their way to Christ, on their way to significance, and on their way to heaven. That's what we're about. This text is what we're about. So, number one, the threat. Verse one. Beloved, do not believe every evil spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Then they are described again, the false prophets, in verse 5. They, the false prophets, are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. So the threat in this text is false prophets speaking false prophecy. And it says many of them. 
have gone out into the world. So my list at the beginning wasn't an exaggeration. Now notice, it appears that the source of the false prophecy is twofold. And how do they fit together? There's a supernatural source above the world, and there's a natural source in the world. Verse 1, do not believe every spirit. Didn't say do not believe every prophet. So what's that? What's, what's that? Test the spirits, not just test the prophets. So evil spirits are never indifferent to Christ belittling, Christ distorting error. They're never indifferent to it. Demonic spirits put them in your mind or buttress them when they're in your mind already. So if, if a Christ distorting idea comes into your mind, Satan's on it, he's on it. Either he put it there or he sees it, likes it, and gets behind it to make it look plausible and prominent. He's never, oh, that's interesting. The devil loves Christ distorting error in your head. So there's a supernatural issue, source of these prophecies. But look at verse 5. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. What's the world? Good definition of the world is in verse 16 of chapter 2. You've seen it already in this series. All that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, it's from the world. So the world is a system of forces that marginalize or oppose God. Substitute creature pleasure for God pleasure, creature treasure for God treasure, that's the world. So these false prophets are speaking from the world. So how do these two sources relate? Spirits and world. And the answer is given in verse 19 of chapter 5. John says, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The world shapes false prophecy because Satan shapes the world. So, question. Since there are so many false prophets and false prophecies, and since the world we live in is shot through with Satan-shaped error, and since the false prophets speak with a supernatural influence, how in the world are you going to get victory? By victory, I mean not be duped, not be sucked in. 
how, how in the world? You're just a little puny, fallen, sinful human being. And you got spirits against you. You got the world against you. So that's the second, that's the second question, namely the victory. So first the threat, false prophecy, and now the victory. And the victory has two answers in this text. Um, apostolic truth and divine power. We'll take them one at a time. John assumes that if we recognize the false prophets as false, we will renounce them and be protected from them. So the first thing he does to protect us and lead us to victory is to specify with his apostolic authority, he specifies a specific doctrinal truth that we can use as a measuring stick or a litmus test for the false prophets and the spirits behind them. So let's read verses two through the beginning of verse three. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Now that looks at first pretty simple, pretty straightforward. If you deny, so I'm talking to you, not them, I'm talking to you. You know this is where heretics come from. This is where they come from. They come from Christians. They come from churches. The people outside, they're not called heretics. Heretics come from the church. So I'm talking to you. If you deny in five years, 10 years, 20 years, if you deny that the eternal divine Son of God was sent from the Father into the world, becoming a God-man incarnate in Jesus Christ, you're a false prophet. And you're not unreliable. I mean, you're not reliable to teach in the church. Your teaching will not be trusted and ought not to be trusted. So verse three says, you are not from God if you deny that. But here's the problem. I said it looks simple. Here's the problem. Demons, unclean spirits, know and profess Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. They know it better than most of us do. Here's some evidence for that. Mark chapter one, verse 23. There was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And then 10 verses later, it says, Jesus would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So what are you going to do with verse 2? Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So at this school, we don't blithely walk over problems like that. We say, whoa, 
whoa, got to think that one through. There's more than one way to come at that question. I'm just going to do one. I think if John were here and I posed him that question, I think John, uh, if I posed it humbly, <laughs> there's a difference between a cynical way of asking a question to the Bible and a humble way of asking a question to the Bible, right? The Bible and God do not like cynical questions. They like humble questions. So humbly, we ask him, what's with verse 2? <laughs> and I think he would say, um, when I say, Pastor John, whatever he would call me, he's Pastor John. <laughs> I'm just... When I say a spirit confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh, I don't mean demon-like confession. No, I don't mean that. I don't mean that. I mean confession, and, and, and you'll notice I said in a minute ago that the demons recognize and profess so I wanted to avoid the word confession because I think it's really a rich term for John. I think he means, I don't mean demon-like confession. I mean confession with whole heart, whole mind, whole soul that embraces the truth of the incarnation, trusts the truth of the incarnation, exalts in the truth of the incarnation, treasures the truth of the incarnation, loves the Christ, of the incarnation. And one clue to that, besides the word confession and the whole book, is the second half of the criterion, where he says, every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ come in the flesh, or we preach Christ, as Paul says, crucified, he says in verse 3, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Let me step back and try to say that more coherently. You got two things going on here. One is the second one where it says confess Jesus, meaning personal. And then the first half, it says, confess Jesus Christ, come in the flesh. Well, the ESV and virtually every English translation translates it that way, but we teach everybody Greek here. Why? Because a very careful reading of verse 2 sees that it means or says We confess Jesus Christ having come in the flesh, which is why I referred to Paul. Because Paul, with the exact same grammatical construction, says, we preach Christ, comma, crucified. He did not say, we preach that Christ is crucified, which he could have said if he wanted to translate it like this verse is translated in English. So there's several clues 
three or four. He doesn't mean demon confession here. He means there's Christ incarnate. Will you confess? Will you, with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, embrace him and agree with all that he is? Love him, treasure him, value him, count him as your supreme treasure in this world as the incarnate Christ. So I think the answer to that problem is that demons don't do that. Only those who are of God do that. So the key to victory so far is a specific apostolic doctrine of the incarnation and the Christ incarnate. If you apply that test to false prophecy, then you will discern who's true and who's not. There's one more thing to say before I turn to the power of God as another part of the victory. Look at verse six. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Verse four, let's let your, God, let your eyes go up to verse four, had said, little children, you are from God. And verse six says, we are from God. Now I think the we is the same we as eight verses later in verse 14. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And I think that we is the same testifier as chapter one, verse one. That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched. That's not you, that's not me. That's the eyewitnesses. So I think verse six is John's way of saying, it's not just the apostolic doctrine of the incarnation that divides the false prophets and the true, it's the whole body of apostolic teaching, we. When we open our mouth and teach, that's the measuring rod for everything. If they don't hear us, they're not of God. If they hear us, they are of God. So, when we speak at Bethlehem College and seminary about observation, understanding, evaluation, the touchstone of evaluation is that, verse six. When apostles speak, we bow. That's the measuring line. Not just one doctrine, but the total teaching. And in fact, you've been listening to this book for a whole semester. There are at least 17 tests of reality in this book, as I counted them. 
Not just one, because the apostolic word of life and doctrine is so rich. The touchstone of evaluation in everything at this school is the apostolic word, warranting the whole Bible. Now, divine power. So I'm asking, in view of the threat, what's the victory? The first part of the victory is apostolic truth, first in the doctrine of the incarnation, second in the whole body of apostolic teaching. That's how you get the victory, measure everything by that truth. Now, second key to victory, verse four, divine power. Little children, you are from God and have overcome, that is, have gotten the victory over them, the false prophets. Why, how, how, how could you possibly get victory over them? Because he who is in you is greater than he who's in the world. So the them here, you have overcome them is the false prophets, and the victory is resistance to their teaching. You will not have me. I will not be conquered by your false teaching. I will stand, I won't be blown over by this wind of doctrine. How? Because he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. So who is in you? Chapter four, verse 12. If we love one another, God abides in us. Staggering. And his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. If you're a Christian today, if you haven't apostatized yet, it's because the spirit is in you and he's great. And who is the one who's in the world that he's greater than? Chapter five, verse 19. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. You have victory over the destructive effects of false prophets and false teaching because the spirit of God is in you and he's greater than Satan, infinitely greater than Satan. I knew a young man who came to this church about 40 years ago. He goes to another church now, good friend still, football player, got saved in college by a, an older lady who had football players over, fed them well. And uh, when they got saved, her first assignment was, between now and next week when you come back, I want you to say 100 times, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I've never forgotten that. That's good advice to a new believer. Say it every day, say it a hundred times between now and next week. Lastly, the urgency. So threat, false prophecy, victory, apostolic truth, and divine power. Third, the urgency, antichrist. Verse three. 
Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard is coming or was coming and now is in the world already. Now add to that, chapter 2, verse 18, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. Now, John didn't have to bring up the Antichrist. <laughs> just leave that verse out, and, and the text just works fine. But he did, he did twice. Why? And my answer is to intensify the sense of urgency. That's why. The sense of urgency of not being deceived in this last hour, that last hour, this last hour. Because Jesus, and John was there when he said this, said, that false Christs and false prophets go together. He said that. Matthew 24, 24. False Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So John was there. He heard the connection between false prophets, false Christs, he says, I'm going to include this. I'm going to include this because this is scary. It's big. Antichrist. So there are many antichrists. And Paul, John, is saying, when there are many false prophets, especially in the church, and the reason I say especially in the church, false prophets in the church, is because that's what Jesus said. The love of many Christians would grow cold. And so Paul said, the apostasy is coming. It's not just bad people out there. This is what happens to the church. When there are many false prophets, especially in the church, this is the kind of intensification of evil that precedes the coming of Christ. And that coming of Christ, he says, will be preceded at the end with the arrival of Antichrist. Both 2.18, chapter 2, verse 18, and chapter 4, verse 3, describe the coming of one single Antichrist preceded by forerunners who are like the Antichrist. That's, so chapter 2, verse 18, Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Chapter 4, verse 3, you have heard that the, that the spirit of the Antichrist is coming, so now he's already in the world. Now, that's virtually the same as Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 with regard to the man of lawlessness. Virtually the same structure of thought. Man of lawlessness is coming, so the end is not yet. The day of the Lord is not at hand. The man of lawlessness has not come, but the mystery of lawlessness has come. Same thing. Antichrist is coming. Spirit of Antichrist is here, 
Men of lawlessness is coming. Mystery of lawlessness is here. I'll read it to you. This is 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 to 8. The day of the Lord will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. When the lawless one is revealed, the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth and bring him to nothing by his coming and his appearing. That had not yet happened when Jesus spoke. That had not yet happened when John spoke. It has not yet happened as I speak, and it will happen. Antichrist is coming. This is urgent because many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. I think that's what Paul's, John was trying to do. Both Paul and John taught that between the first and second coming, we are in the last days, the last hour. In this time, Antichrist is coming and is already here in his forerunners. The man of lawlessness is coming. He's already here in the mystery of lawlessness, which Jesus also referred to, by the way. Lawlessness is multiplied. Love of many grow cold. Wars and rumors of wars. I'm going to say more about that in my mission sermon. I'm so excited to speak at Missions Week with that world behind me there. When is that Sunday a week? The Antichrist is coming. Already many have come. So the point of these connections that John is making, I'm trying to make, is that the urgency is to be felt. You're to live in this kind of urgency. Now, urgency is not alarm. Urgency is alert. In fact, Paul and Jesus use those two words to distinguish what we're not to feel, alarm. Don't be alarmed. The end is not yet. Jesus said, he said, but the beginning of the birth pangs. But wake up. Wake up. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking people to devour. Be alert. Be awake. Have your eyes open. Observe. Understand. Evaluate. Feel the triumph of God and the danger of the threat. So in summary... The threat is all around us locally and globally of false prophets and antichrist. Number two, the victory over this threat is the infallible apostolic word and the power of God within us, and the urgency is antichrist. So, Bethlehem College and Seminary, be of good cheer. Trust Jesus. Love each other. That's the summary of 1 John in chapter 3, verse 23. Trust Jesus. Love each other. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Let's pray. Amen, Father. Come, give us that alertness. Give us that confidence. Give us that vigilance. Give us that discernment, I pray, from now until you come. I pray in Jesus' name. Why don't you stand and I'll give you a benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace and a great confidence that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.